The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now, there is a big uh, fundraising event for the Dublin Neurological Institute. It's happening in Croke Park and it's happening on the 7th of February, which is uh, next Tuesday uh, from four to half six in the evening. And its theme fascinates us. It's how our leadership in healthcare might learn from sport. Well, to talk about all of this, I'm joined by uh, Tim Lynch, who's consultant neurologist in the Matter Hospital and director of that Neurological Institute. Uh, Tim, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Pat. How are you? I am very well. Now, um, we are talking about top sports people. We're talking about Stuart Lancaster, Stacey Flood, Paul Flynn, Jim Gavin. These are people who are going to presumably give us lessons in resilience. How does that translate into healthcare? Well, hopefully that's the plan for the day. But I think it's interesting. Stuart's had an interesting career, as most people know, with a bit down the doldrums, having lost his post within the English uh, system and, and uh, rugby team, uh, but obviously has re- rejuvenated himself within Leinster with a remarkable success. Uh, Jim Gavin's pretty extraordinary individual with regard to the Gaelic football, but in particular it's interesting what Jim's approach to this and Paul Flynn I think will reflect that on the day because Paul would have experienced that as a player that Jim applied many of his learnings from aviation, his job with an aviation authority, uh, that how you applied to sport in that it's a team approach and that clearly in that it was a learning approach that each game they learned from, whether it was successful or it was a failure and then try and improve again from there onwards. So in aviation they did that, for example, back in the 70s, if you recall, there was the plane accident of the Canaries when two 747s unfortunately hit each other on the runway in fog. And they looked at that and they decided that rather than actually having this adversarial approach of blame the individual, which unfortunately bedevils healthcare, mm-hmm. um, they decided, well, let's look at the organisation and see is there a problem with the organisation of, of aviation and can we improve it? And that's what they did. So over the next decades, they built into that that all pilots have to do simulation training on their aircraft at least twice a year. And they looked at the system of place that if there was a mistake being made by the senior pilot, the others were uh, uh, encouraged to question it and actually say, well, actually, is that correct. So they had built in safe regards to it. As a result, that air accidents have plummeted over the last 40 years. It's interesting you talk about aviation because uh, there was a a book, uh, I think it was called Checklist. It was written by a doctor Hmm. who was bringing aviation cockpit Mm -hmm. protocols Mm -hmm. into the operating theatre, for example. Yes. Like check, check, check. And two people would check. So uh, maybe someone who wouldn't be at the same rank as the surgeon, like the theatre sister or whatever, would be able to say, Hang on a second. Yeah. Well, my experience at Theatre Sisters is usually above the rank of the surgeon, <laughs> but there you go. Um, but absolutely, that checklist is an interesting approach. Have you got all the swabs? Have you got all the various instruments? Are they still in the wound and you're getting to clear them? So you built into a system with a learning culture in the organisation, uh, which is key to healthcare, but also this, it uses the term just culture, that rather than actually blame the individual and, well, it's your fault, and have a say, and we're going to actually take you to court, which doesn't achieve much other than actually puts you know, the physician, the nurse, whoever happens to be under stress and it might result in a monetary award but doesn't change the system down the road whereas if you put a just culture system okay what went wrong in the organisation that this mistake or error happened and can we learn from that and actually improve it and change over time and I think that's what's been done in sport both for Stuart but also by Jim and I think uh, mm-hmm. Stacy and Paul may comment upon that actually that's interesting because it is an organisation a, a team of course the health service executive is a bigger one but it's still an organisation I think there are some learning to be had yeah. from sport um, the thing about sport, though, is that it's episodic. In other words, um, you are beaten last uh, Sunday by Mayo and you lick your wounds and then you face Kerry and you've learned from Mayo, but you've had, a, a, if you like, a gap for learning. If you're in an emergency department, 
It's unremitting. It's, if you like, match after match after match or uh, using boxing parlance, it's round after round after round with very little time to 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 absorb everything you've learned and uh, and apply it. Yeah, that's a fair point. But also, if you listen to Paul, in other words, it didn't just go away after a match. Uh, there was a review and an autopsy done in each match and discussion of it. And even they may have do video review. And that this Stuart does the same in rugby. So there's an ongoing learning process during the week coming up to the match. So that is, is in built into it. I think the same applies in healthcare. <clears throat> For example, I suppose what I've tried to do in matter neurology over the years is develop the department that is a, a centre of excellence in clinical care. But as a foundation of that, um, we have been built into the matter neurology department and the neurological institute that there's teaching training research innovation ongoing at all times why because the patient does better when they're looked after in that sort of academic environment and the reason that is of course that the staff have got career options it keeps their edge they continue to learn they learn new techniques new technology and new approaches but also you end up recruiting and retaining better staff over the time Mm -hmm. so it's a logical approach and that's actually slowly but surely in that approach I think is starting to infiltrate within the HSC bit by bit there's recognition that if you're putting a clinical service together, you have to ask the question, well, actually, what's the teaching, training and research innovation part of that service? Because that's what's going to maintain its edge, maintain its excellence over time. Now, recently we heard about bullying in the the health service and the HSE, and it seemed to be that, if you like, civilians might have been bullying uh, frontline medical people. And I'm wondering how easy it is when you have a bureaucracy which is not necessarily medically trained, but bureaucratically trained, you know, to watch the numbers, to count the euros and cents, uh, to try and, you know, organise everything from leave entitlements, sick leave holidays, etc., 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 and keep the show on the road. But they don't necessarily feel they're part of the medical team. Yes, good question. I mean, certainly in the front line, um, I suppose there has been an increasing reporting of difficult, stressful scenarios, and and we've all experienced those. Uh, That's very stressful for the medical nursing and the healthcare staff, uh, because everybody's there really trying to do help, frankly, most people, with the vast majority. Uh, They're not just there to make a few pounds, they're there to actually try and help people in a compassionate fashion. Uh, so it's quite stressful when, they, when there is aggressiveness occurs, and that particularly is often associated with either drug use or alcohol abuse or whatever. Um, it always has been there, but certainly has become a bit more prominent. It also results in, in subsequent stress, particularly, for example, if the case is taken against you uh, or there's a medical counsel complaint made against you, and some of those can be vexatious. It's tricky, actually, because the system is geared towards assisting particularly the patient. For example, with the medical counsel, the complaint is made by the patient, but I can't complain about a vexatious patient, which is interesting, although I do pay the medical counsel per year for their services, but I don't have a... a reciprocal approach and that's an interesting actually maybe there should be that it's a two-way street here there's a relationship with the patient and the doctor and if the patient has a complaint about the doctor well okay but maybe the doctor's not happy with the patient particularly if they're being uh, vexatious but the medical council are the, if you like the police force for uh, clinicians Whereas there is no such police force, if you like, from patients. I mean, it would to behave or if there is actually bullying going on from, pa- from and patients. And suppose there's wrongdoing found against them that they were vexatious. 
what's the recourse? There is, well, there are any recourses to take them to actually civil court. Yeah. And that's is, cumbersome and really expensive. Absolutely. And also it doesn't look well within the media that, okay, you've got a quote unquote, uh, overpaid, lazy consultant taking a poor patient to the courts. But sometimes... And, and by the way, you win in court and you won't get a, a shilling at the end of it. They yeah. won't pay. Yeah. So we don't have anything. So that's actually a stressful scenario. You've responsibility, but you've no outlet, uh, outlet from that. It can be quite difficult. Uh, and that does lead to stress and hence resilience within leadership in medicine is really key here that uh, from a staff perspective and, and I suppose any advice I give to new people starting they've got to think about resilience but also look after themselves and get a good work-life balance and that's easier said than done actually uh, actually just in preparation for today there was a couple of reading I was doing and I, I often think there's come some nice quotes and the, the stoic quote from Beckett I always enjoy uh, with regard to you know resilience which his comment was and Beckett was ever tried ever failed, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better. And that actually is a pretty good motto for healthcare because we have constant losses in our system and forgotten my secretary Dolores um, and myself often lose patients on a regular basis in the business I'm in, in neurology, unfortunately. And there's a sadness about that, actually. It's not often spoken about uh, that there are these friends you make over the years and then you find you get a note of oh, somebody's died and passed away. So there's a constant loss, actually. So uh, you have to actually buttress yourself against that to a certain extent and uh, being empathetic where you actually feel the patient's uh, pain and illness is actually is a burnout problem. Mm-hmm. You can be compassionate but you've got to try and get the balance right. There. Now you talk about teamwork and it should be uh, teamwork but you also talk about leadership and sometimes teamwork can be um, it can be an excuse for someone not putting their head above the parapet. You know, it's a it's the team. It was a failure in the team or uh, we all did our best and nobody kind of takes on the leadership role. So how do those leaders emerge? I mean, is it inevitable that the most senior person, man or woman, the person with the most academic qualifications from whatever high flying American university who's appointed leader, even though they may not have those leadership skills? Yes, good point. And there is a bit of a default mode in that. I mean, in other ways, you could argue that I suppose they fight the way to the top and take on the role. Um, In many fashions, I suppose, often the medical consultant of the hospital system will be the leader or the GP in the practice. Um, And there's a certain merit to that because I suppose when presently our system with adversarial, if things go wrong, they're the person that... The buck stops. Bingo. So if you take on that, you have to to accept that. So if you do a rotational leadership system, then people have to understand that the buck's going to stop with you. On the other hand, I do think the teamwork is absolutely key and I've tried to adopt that certain neurology, but you could imagine the same with the HSC. How do we do this? How, How does the HSC in Irish healthcare, and as a side, I should say, I think we've great potential in Irish healthcare. We've phenomenal nurses, allied healthcare professionals, doctors. We've got an improving management structure and I would give them a lot of credit certainly for the pandemic within the system. So there's interesting green shoots here. How we direct it and develop it over the next 10, 15, 20 years, there is a potential Irish healthcare could be some of the best in the world. Now we're not there yet, but that has that potential. But to do that, it's going to have to be a team. And that's a challenge. I mean, when you've got such a big organization, you end up with silos and you've got a, you know, community health services with GPs, you've got major academic teaching hospitals, you've got the smaller hospitals, et cetera. And then you've got a university as a backdrop in racial education. How do you integrate these and link them? And in some ways, that's what they're trying to do with slaughter care. But it really needs to be thought through how you implement Mm -hmm. that, actually, because you want to build that on a significant foundation of that, again, I think, teaching, training, research, 
culture innovation, linking those various groups and that they aren't in silos, but they work together as a team and a learning process. And as part of that is that the mistakes made, well, hands up, mistake made, the system got it wrong. It wasn't that nurse or that doctor. It wasn't their fault because we just simply didn't have a system in place, train them correctly. We're going to improve. That or, would actually or, really or you've got a burnt out case who is, the, you know, the kind of person who yes. will always turn up to work because they think of the consequences if they don't show that yes. certain <laughs> treatments won't happen or colleagues will be really overwhelmed if they call in sick. So they turn up, but they burn themselves out in, in consequence. Yes, and even being sick. And in Ireland, certainly we would have that tradition. And, and hands up, I've done that over the years, you know, when I've been unwell and, and turned up. But in hindsight, looking back, that probably is a mistake. In other jurisdictions, for example, in Australia, my, my daughter's working in Australia at present. There's a different system there, actually. And they have enough staff, actually, that if somebody is sick, they just call in sick and there's a, somebody plugs the gap. In our system, we don't have that reserve in place. So if you can't turn up, then you know, one of your colleagues is there. It's got you know a longer yeah. day and more to do. So we haven't got that right yet. Well, there are so many issues that we've just touched upon, but if you want to uh, attend to those in much more detail, there's that fundraising event in Crow Park next Tuesday, the 7th of February from four to half six. Uh, and details can be found on the DNI website, which is neurologicalinstitute.ie. If you want to email fundraiser at dni.ie uh, or you can call Rebecca on Dublin 85450333. Tim Lynch, thank you very much for joining Joining us in studio today. Thank you, Pat. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.